Praise God. Thank you so much, Praise Team. Wow, I haven't sent that song since Rutgers, 1996. But that's not a bad thing. That's just, that was awesome. I, it was such a, such a glorious song. It's such an anthem. And I just feel like, wow, I feel young again. But, but more importantly, I just feel like God gets glorified in that song. And I feel like when we sing that, I'm like, yeah, send us forth. It just makes me want to not sit still. It makes me want to just charge out into that swimming pool and start <laughs> proclaiming Jesus as they're swimming with their kids. But it's so good. Um, you guys are a great bunch. And this, I, I can't thank you enough for the room that Pastor Key and Pastor John gave me. And I showed it to my family last night through FaceTime. We prayed together. We, we read together. And they're like, not fair. You have a fireplace. And um, they're already mad at me because I ate White Castle. That's our favorite food in our family. And I put it on my Facebook and I send it to them. And my wife sent me four angry face emojis <laughs> representing each of our family. And, and uh, they're so angry. They're, they're genuinely angry. And um, we have a weird family. Um, just... just <laughs> We, I've been married 14 years, and we celebrated our anniversary this past early August. And I know we're getting old. Uh, just, just curious, help me feel better. Who's over 40? Amen. Thank you. Okay. We will represent. We'll beat everybody in volleyball and basketball still. But, but uh, so this is a sign we're getting older. This is so weird. I know you're going to think this is weird. I don't think there's any couple that I know that did this. So my sister lives in San Diego, so she said, bring your kids, and we'll watch your kids, and you and your wife could go have a nice overnight getaway at San Diego. What a wonderful idea. So we planned it, we were excited, and I was on kayak, renting out, trying to get rooms, and my wife says to me, oh my goodness, what if we get two queen beds, one for you and one for me? So I said, without feeling her, I was like, yeah, that'd be so cool. And, and she loves me, but she also loves the bed. And I'm like one of those guys who go all over the place. Wives, do you have guys like that? You know, just, just yeah, that's me. And so we, we did. Like, I love Lucy, you know, Desi, you know, the two separate beds. I kid you not. Don't knock it till you tried it. It was the most romantic, but also the refreshing overnight getaway we've ever had. So my wife, as weird as she is, she's brilliant. Or she just pulled one on me and just, you know, she played it off. But it's so fun being married, and um, that's the kind of things that we learn from. So anyway, as we gather here, I hope you guys ate well, slept well. I hope your kids were doing well last night. And uh, this morning's message is a little bit shorter, and as we focus on the theme of greater things, I kind of changed the message uh, from what I originally intended to something else. Were you able to update that? So today's text will come from Mark 8, and we'll go into that. So before we continue, could you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, let your glory just overflow in this place in our lives. God, 
let it overflow into every aspect of our lives when we leave and when we go home. That God, our worship is not an event that happens here or at church, but God, that worship would be the every essence of our lives in the way we breathe, live, work, play, that it would glorify you. And so saturate us to the core with your complete being. We want to be like you. We want to live for you. And so this morning, speak to us and show us greater things and keep us from getting in our way of what you're trying to do around us. And bless this community of believers. Enrich them, grow them, deepen them, convict them, and challenge them. That we would not stay in a holy huddle, but God, that our lives calling would be to be sent out. Lord, speak to us, encounter us. Holy Spirit, guide these words. And may these seeds land on fertile hearts. And may they spring forth fruit and produce, Lord God, in our lives. We pray these things, anticipating and hopeful in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, if you have your Bibles or you versions or iPads, uh, we're at Mark chapter 8. And I'll be reading from verse 1 through 13. During the days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Actually, I'll end there. The word of the Lord. Awesome. You know, one of the things we learn in life is that just because we haven't figured it out, it doesn't mean God hasn't figured it out. I'm going to say that one more time. Just because we haven't figured it out, it doesn't mean God hasn't figured it out. You know, I think one of the problems we have in our generation is we're too smart for our own good. And what I mean by that is when I went to California, a mentor told me, Jason, sit down. You're too smart for your own good. So I was like, I am? <laughs> Thinking is a compliment. And he refers me to this Harvard Business Journal article about people that are too smart for their own good, that they cause destruction. They're too calculated. They're too processed. They're too, like, analytical. And everything has to be exact for them to do what they need to do. And they just barrel through with logic. But the problem with you and I, as we all know, is anybody here omniscient? (laughs) Not even close. So we're too smart for our own good. And if you look at our Bible, just all over the place, 
Look at all the times where human logic and rationale, if given to their own power, would not have let Jesus do all that he did. For example, Luke 5, 4 and 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, Jesus, we're professional fishermen. You're giving us backseat advice on how to fish? We've done it. I know there's nothing here. He says this, though. But because you say so, rolling eyes, (laughs) we'll humor you and we'll try it. And there was so much fish. What do you think Simon thought? Wow. What do you know? So another example, Luke 8. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. A girl died. Jesus says, by the way, worst advice. Pastors, this is the worst advice to tell a family that's wailing. Stop wailing. Only Jesus could say that, right? You never go to a funeral and they're crying and you just go, stop crying. (laughs) Worst advice. Jesus said, and then he says this, because he's Jesus, he's God. She is not dead but asleep. And rightfully, they responded, verse 53, they laughed at him knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And she rose. Can you imagine what they might have missed out on if Jesus said, oh, you're right, she's dead. Rigor mortis is setting in and she's dead. I'm sorry. I forgot I created life, but I'll listen to you. I I think Jesus would be funny if he was sarcastic. So, and then John 11 Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And this is Lazarus, right? It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. And then Martha, see, this is shocking because just a few minutes ago, Martha had this conversation. Jesus, if you had been here, she would have not been dead. He would have been alive. And Jesus says, Martha, you know, Martha. And then he says, I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? And she goes, I do. And then just a few minutes later, she says something like this. But Lord, it's been four days, and Lazarus, it'll stink. It smells. So she recognizes in here that he's the resurrection. But in her logic, he's dead, and it's starting to smell. And we all know the story. What does Jesus say? Lazarus, come out. And there's some scholars who jokingly say if he had not said Lazarus, Everybody would have come out because that's Jesus. You know, we're the second-gen, well-educated Korean-Americans, Americanized. And I think one of the problems we have with faith is we're too smart. We're too calculated. Uh, This is not a sermon. I'm just speaking editorially like, gosh, I get myself in trouble because I'm too calculated. See, I studied finance, so who knows what the term hedging is? Thank you, one person. So, so you know, when you, when you buy stocks, when you buy stocks, you're like, you know, I don't want to put everything in this one portfolio. I want to diversify it. I want to hedge risk. So just in case, like, something tanks, this thing will secure me. And I think we do that with our lives. Some of you are not married, possibly because you hedge. You're like, I like this guy. He's got everything, but just in case, I'll keep him around. And maybe if I can't work out with him, maybe he'll be, so I won't be, you know, single forever. Or guys do that too. 
Guys have commitment issues, you know, so we like hedge. We're like, what if, you know, well, she's great. She drives stick, plays volleyball, but, but she's, she's really not a great singer. And, and we're so like, gosh, man, you're so calculated. And I'm not sure if that helps when it comes to God saying, let my glory pervade this world through you where you go. And see, we're, we, God is not asking us to be dumb by any means. He wants us to be brilliant, smart, thoughtful. But we get in trouble. We get ourselves stuck with our own intelligence. So faith is not absence of intelligence, but it's this trust. When God says go, that's the time to respond. That's basically today's message. When God says go, that's when we respond. Not what, not if, but, but it's now. So let me just go into today's text in Mark 8. And Jesus, there's two feedings, multitude of feedings. And in Mark 6, two chapters before, Jesus just fed 5,000 men. So they say 5,000 men. So how many people were there? Maybe like 10,000 because they're not counting the women and children. So a few days later, Jesus is here, and he sees his crowd. And isn't it great that Jesus sees the crowd, and he's, he's not oblivious to this crowd. He sees their pain where they are. They've been with me for three days, and if they go home, they're so hungry, they'll collapse. So he says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And my weird mind's thinking, like, how did they go to the bathroom? Just like, weird. So if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So the two things with these two stories in Mark 6 and Mark 8, they're two distinct stories. And what they have in common, both are miracles initiated by Jesus. Both involve a large group of gathering of people. Both involve a loaf and a fish. And both involve this miracle of mass production. So the difference here is this. In the, this story, it was being lost without a shepherd in, in Mark 6. In this story in Mark 8, it's that they were physically weak and hungry. So his compassion was driven by two different things. And in this case, instead of 12 basketfuls at the end, it ends with seven basketfuls. And I just want to say it always starts with the heart of God, doesn't it? Remember when uh, Prince of Egypt, Israel is in Egypt. They're being overruled by Egypt. They're being used as slaves. And God hears the cries of who? His people. I love that about our God. Our God, some of us, we have this picture of God who's like this wrathful ruler and says, you better obey and worship me or else. You know, we picture this authoritarian Asian dad from like 1980s. You better do what I say or else I will strike you. And what? And you see this picture of God from Genesis to Revelation. And you see a multifaceted God, but it's this consistent, loving God. Can you imagine if I go to your house and just when I walk in, you're about to discipline your boy because he spray painted his sister with like whipped cream or something. And you're like, no. And then I see you yelling at him like, don't ever, you know, take a spray paint of whipped cream or do your to your sister. And I see your angry side. And I say, well never coming to this house again. And then I tell Pastor Key, you know, one of your members has an anger issue. Would that be accurate? 
I caught him at this time where he's got to intervene or his child is going to get hurt. And we do that with God. We see this a picture of God. We caricature him and we say, he is ferocious. Like, he's so mean. He doesn't care about us. And I want to say, you need to see the whole story. And, we, and the whole Bible doesn't capture the full glory of God. But it gives us a full picture of what he wants us to see and realize. And a lot of people who are struggling with that, can I tell you, he's holy. He's kind. He's just, but he's also merciful. He's loving. And this picture of God is this perfect father that we could never measure up to. And we need to see the full context. Amen? And so we see Jesus saying, I have compassion. And it begins with this heart of God who has a compassion. So he invites the disciples. And he's, Jesus is very, being very Korean-American. You know, Koreans do this. They're very passive-aggressive, right? So they don't say, it's cold. Can you turn down the AC? What did Koreans say? You know, it's pretty cold. They don't say, like, could you turn the air conditioner down? I'm cold. They go, oh, if somebody was here that could turn the AC, it'd be nice. It's so cold. And, and my mom does that. I cream. It's a Korean thing. They don't do direct language, right? I, it, it was a hard thing for me to, when I went to banking, my boss would be like, Jason, we need to use direct language. And I realized how passive I was. So, but Jesus is like, I have compassion for these people. And he says, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples are like, uh, he's being Korean-American again. So they responded, verse 4, I get what you're saying, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? I hear what you're trying to say, Jesus. You want to feed them. But two, we're in this remote place. We're in Vernon, New Jersey. There is no Walmart. There is no Garden State Plaza. There's like a raccoon house. Where are we going to get this kind of food? And also... You know, how can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How can you carry and provide this? So rational, logical, smart people thinking, God says, I want to save, I want to help. They respond with what? Analytical assessment. (laughs) I want to reach the lost. Too many people. We're, We're not geographically, you know, advantageous here. And the immediate response of people is what? It's never yes. Do you notice that? God says, I want to help. Our response is intuitively not, yes, I'll go. It's, but. When God told me to go to seminary, um, I had a hard time because of this reason. I was thinking, all right, I got into Princess Seminary. By the way, I'm not being modest. That's a miracle. My GPA in Rutgers was not good. And Princess Seminary does not accept based on GPA. And I don't know how I got in. It was truly a miracle of God. So God did a miracle, and I said, but I don't know. I got a car loan. I have all these issues. And I actually wrestled with that when God said, go. And so finally, something weird happened. I was worried about my car loan. because I, I, I was one of those dummies. I came out of college and bought a car that I couldn't afford, right? The day that I said, you know what? I'm going to trust God. You're going to provide a way. I got into a car accident. It was unintentional. So it actually happened on like a Hamburg Turnpike, Route 23, that area. 
And um, yeah, it was a it was a it was an intersection, and I got mad. I got it was partly my fault, and I made a left turn, and the guy coming the light turned green, and I made a left turn, and the guy got mad that I went first, so he was coming from the other side, and he came out of his way and rammed me. So I, like I saw his like car coming towards me, so I said no, nah, <laughs> and it was really so it's it was so mad, and I stayed in my car because I was so angry. And I was just thinking about, oh, man, this is, this is bad. Long story short, the, it was a three-year-old car, but I drove so many miles on it that my insurance company said it's a total loss. We can't even repair it. It's a, full, it's a three-year-old car. I put 100,000 miles in three years. My, well, my church was 30 miles away. I went twice a week. And, yeah, I was one of those college guys who never stayed home. And it was bad. It was post-college stuff. But it was funny. The insurance company sends a letter. It's a total loss, Jason. Here's a check. Um, you know, there's nothing else we could do. And I looked at it. It covered the loan. <laughs> and I had $2,000 left over. And I said, God, I just need a Honda Accord. <laughs> Those used cars. And this is so, I, it sounds so weird. And Pastor Key knows, knows it's red. I just, I, I just need a Honda Accord, and I want stick. <laughs> so I go to Primus Honda, and I'm like, this is really weird. I only got $2,000. Do you have like an old 92 like Honda Accord stick? He goes, just got one in yesterday. <laughs> Two-door Honda Accord stick, $2,000 cash, I'll take it. Is that weird? Is that coincidence? And I, so I know this is a stretch, but I feel like, Jason, your logic doesn't match with my power. Your logic doesn't match with what I'm trying to do. I want to feed the crowd Disciples are saying, how can we feed them? And Jesus is saying, leave that process up to me. Your response is, yes, Lord, I will go. And you know what's annoying about this? Two reasons that makes these questions a little bit just amazed at the ignorance of humanity and us sometimes distrusting God. We want to sing, let your glory fall, but we, we, we reserve and we don't have this faith in God that he can do what he wants to do. Because for these disciples, just two chapters before, Jesus fed 5,000. And I'm thinking, like, what happened? Did you lose your memory? He just did it. So, like, my rationale as I'm processing this is maybe Peter's going, Andrew, you know, John, he's doing it again. He wants us to feed 5,000. No, Lord, we're in a remote place. We've done it before. We can't do it. Maybe it was laziness. Maybe it was doubt. Maybe it's just lack of faith. But they were making excuses. So how do you respond when Jesus says go? I, I'm, I'm fishing here, but I have a feeling some of you have been getting that tap from God, that annoying tap. And God is saying, hey, I want to use you. And you're like, leave me alone. I got my MBA. I got my family. I got stuff to do. And sometimes, some of you are, God is calling you right now. And he's saying, i got a purpose for you, and all you've been doing is making excuses, is making fronts, making reasons, like humble excuses, like, oh, God, not me. You wouldn't want to use a guy like me. And what you really want is, I don't want to do it, God. I'm kind of comfortable where I am. And I think Jesus is saying, will you trust me enough that I love you, that I have a cool purpose, and you will not regret it? If you just say yes. So 
God wants to do it through us. Maybe some of us are saying, I don't know if you could do it in me. You know, one of the greatest sins, maybe you learned this growing up in Sunday school, it's this idea of worry. How many of you, let's admit it, let's confess, Warriors Anonymous, W-O-R-R-I-E-R-S, I think. <laughs> Raise your hand if you are one of those worriers. Come on, be proud. Uh, don't be proud, but just confess. <laughs> like, you're, one, my wife is a worrier. I said, no, no, no. I got to take that back. I'm the worrier. She's the one that brings me back. There's, every couple has one. Maybe you're a worrier. Every time something happens, your thought is, but I don't know. Ooh, but it could go bad. And we have this worrier complex. And I think Jesus is asking us, you know, you, not, you worrying reveals your confidence in me. Can you imagine if my son, Ethan, who's seven, says to me, Dad, tonight, will you give me dinner? <laughs> By the way, that's hypothetical. <laughs> that's only, I'm just acting. Can you imagine, though, your son comes up to you and says, Dad, please, tonight, can I have food? How would you feel if your child... Ask you, would you give me food? What? Did your mom put you up to this? No, but do you see how, how crazy that is? And we go to God when he says go, and we say, God, will you be with me? Ephesians 1.13, when having believed you were marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of the time to come. God is with us. Amen? He has given us all that we need, period. And when he says go, he will do it. We're too smart for our own good. Because we calculate our lives. You probably did everything in your life right now to this point. And so you're in control, but there's got to be this point where we say, even when I think I don't understand, God, because you say so, I will throw the net on the other side. Because you say so, let's go feed these 4,000. Let's do it. So Jesus asked this question, verse 5. I love this. So after disciples say, but where in the remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Jesus asked them this question. How many loaves do you have? Now, listen to this. This is in English. Obviously, Jesus didn't speak English, but listen to the different ways you could read this. How many loaves do you have? Like, there's 4,000. Let's get our bread together. How many do you have? One, two, three, one. So he's, is he asking to see how many they have for inventory to match? No. Let's, so what, how, how else can we read this? How many loaves do you have? Like, as opposed to crackers or fish. Or maybe he's asking it this way. Listen to this. How many loaves do you have? Just let that soak in. He wants to feed 4,000 men and thousands more. They're like, where are we going to get this food? And then his question to them is, how many do you have? You know what he's doing here? (laughs) I love this. 
Jesus is not going to feed them because we already have matched that. He's saying, give me your little scrap as an offering to me. I will take care of the rest. Give me what you got. Give me all of you. You let me deal with that rest. You see, Moses, go. Save my people. But I can't talk. Moses, I'm not sending you because you're, you know, you're Obama. You're you're Martin Luther King. I'm sending you because I'm going to go with you. You go, you shepherd of 40 years. You murderer. You stutterer. Just go. (laughs) Just do it, and I will... Reveal my glory because I am the great I am. Some of us today need to hear, I don't go because I have the resources. But the resources I have, he is able to take and use it for his purpose. You know, um, so we have to understand, sometimes it doesn't make sense. The numbers don't add up. And that's where a part where we know when God is sending us, we say, I trust you. You will have it. When Pastor Key started this church, I'm sure there were a lot of, starting a church, you know how stressful it is? It's, it, there's a lot of prayers needed. There's a lot of, like, planning. And I look at you guys after three years now. Five, is it five years? <laughs> Hallelujah. Look around. This is the work of God. Do you think People could imagine this and, and calculate it. They just say, Lord, if you say so, we'll do what we can. We need you to provide the rest. Amen? This is what you're a walking testimony of God's powers, and He's going to use this church to bless Northern Jersey and beyond. Hallelujah. And you don't, He's not looking at you because you're well educated beautiful, smart people. He's looking at it because you guys are willing to say, yes, Lord, because you say so. How many loaves do you have? So Jesus is asking them, give me whatever scraps. Let me take care of it. So I'm going to bring this down as we keep that in thought. Do you notice how Jesus is an expert? He's in the business of taking scrappily broken people who've fallen, people who humble themselves no matter where they've been, and he's an expert. He's in the job of pimp my ride. Remember that show? <laughs> Jesus is like the pimp my sinner. He's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, oh, dog, I see your past. We're going to hook you up. <laughs> and he takes, he takes like the straggly people. He takes guys who... who who led a life of just maybe promiscuity, girls who just made all these mistakes. He says, you know what I'm in the business of? I take rusted cars, and I remodel it, and I make people go, wow. And Jesus says, I take people who've disqualified themselves in their mind, and I say, no way. My grace is will be bigger than you, all your mistakes. And I'm going to hook you up if you simply say, here I am, Lord. Take me. Jesus, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. Look at what Paul says. But God chose the smart, beautiful, well-educated things of the world to shame the wise. Those of you who don't know the Bible, you're like, 
all right? Those of you who knew the Bible, you should be going, that's not what the Bible says. (laughs) That's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 1.27, listen. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You see, the way to go up for Christians, followers of Christ, is to go down. That's why we need humility. That's why pride gets in our way. That's why pride gets not only in our way of coming to Christ, but every day walk. When we feel like we know better than God, God, the worst thing he could do is have it your way. See how it works out. Not because he hates us, but because he's saying, I need you to realize, even if you make mistake over and over again, that you need to trust me. Jesus is a brilliant, brilliant God who takes broken people, humbled people, and makes them into something beautiful to impact the world. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only for that revival back in high school when you came to Jesus. You want to hear something radical? This is from Tim Keller's thought. And I was like, wow, I never realized that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it saves you from your past sins, but it also saves you from your present sin struggles, your pride. And the gospel also redeems our future. So your story and this world story is never done because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he could take any one of you when he says, I have a plan, and you respond, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. My life is yours. So Jesus took seven loaves, fed 4,000 plus, two small fish, and then he has a leftovers. And the second thing I just want to say is we don't serve, ever serve, because of abundance. Let me unpack that for you. I'm going to talk about offering and money because this is, this is I, I'm not at my church, so I could talk about money better. <laughs> Our generation really needs to understand the concept of giving to God first fruits. Can we say amen? We really have to understand that because of this, not because a church needs money, but because your faith is directly tied to where your money goes. If you buy stocks in Apple, guess what you're going to do? Pray for Apple every day. Lord, let the iPhone 6S Plus be awesome. Because your money is tied to where your heart is. Right? If you invest in a corporation, your life worships that. That's because that's the way God wired you. So he's saying Jesus, who preached about money like ten times more than hell, He says, be good with your money for where your treasure is or your heart is. So our generation needs to understand when it comes to money, it hurts. But if you think about it, it all belongs to God. Let me give first. Let me give costly. And soon, this is the best part. You get to a point where it's a given. It's not even, doesn't hurt anymore. You're like, God, take it. And why am I bringing this up? Because some of us, we give offering when we have a lot. And Jesus is saying, will you trust me to give period, as a symbol that you trust me and not in your career, 
not in the economy, not in the stocks, not in your inheritance, but you trust me and not yourself. That's why you need to give. Pastor Key, you better buy me a good dinner after this. So, but I'm being, that was, that was a joke. But do you guys understand? This generation needs to understand that because I feel like this next wave, you guys are going to, you are the leaders of the church and we need to remodel what it means to give generously, live wholeheartedly. Our parents did that when they came from Korea with nothing. And I was like, so I asked my mom, what made you, by the way, how did you learn that? And she, my mom, her father was a pastor in Korea who got beaten by the Japanese, beaten by the communists. He almost died three times, should have died three times. And then he, she said, you know what your dad, grandfather did? He took any little money he had, and he would iron it. Because when he gave it to God, he didn't want to give his crumbly dollar. Even if it's little, he would say, this is for the Lord. And he would iron money <laughs> before he goes to church because he revered God, can this generation know how to give costly because God is all that? I think we can. So Jesus is saying here, we don't give out of an abundance. You give out of obedience. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus is teaching us we don't give out of abundance. You give out of obedience. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And every dollar bill has what? In God we trust. And then we trust the dollar bill that says in God we trust more than the God on the dollar bill that says we should trust God. Does that make sense? Like, we trust the money more than God. And some of you, maybe you're like me. I, I struggle with this. When the bank account's good, when everything's good, you're like, God is good. <laughs> money gets a little tight, you're like, oh, Lord, what's going to happen? And I feel like, do you trust God or Jason, or do you trust your bank account? Oof. And the dollar preaches to us every day, doesn't it? In God, we trust. So Jesus is saying, there's 4,000. I want to feed them. I just need you to trust me where you go. So they gather around, and they do it. In John's version, a little boy comes up with fish and bread. And I could picture Peter. They're so condescending. Little boy's like, I got some food and bread. <laughs> and then Peter's like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah, just get out of here. And then Jesus says, no, I, I want that. D don't send the boy away. There it is. There's faith. And in John's version, Jesus takes that and feeds the multitude. We need to be childlike, don't we? We need to be almost embarrassingly naive when it comes to responding to God and say, God, I, I, I can't do it, but whatever you need, I'll, I'll go. And God will say, that, that's what I want. I don't need the smart, polished perfect, have it together. I want that broken, scraggly person who wants to say, use me. Amen? And so I want to end with this. And I was like, wow, this is a great quote that fits with your theme. William Carey was a missionary who revolutionized missions, modern missions. And just one line from him, he says this. You ready? You, if you're writing notes, I'll read it slowly. Just one simple sentence. Expect great 
things from God attempt great things for God. Isn't that great? And because of that vision, he went out and revolutionized modern missionary work because he expected God to do the great things. And we're the humble vessels that he allows his glorious work to come through. Wow, what an honor. Use me, Lord. And so let me end with this. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Sometimes your pastors may end with this in benediction. And this is where we get it from. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.